Book Three, Chapter Thirteen of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Henry Fielding. Book Three, Chapter Fourteen. In which our hero makes a speech well worthy to be celebrated, and the behaviour of one of the gang, perhaps more unnatural than any other part of this history. There was in the gang a man called Blueskin, one of those merchants who trade in dead oxen, sheep, etc., in short, what the vulgar call a butcher. This gentleman had two qualities of a great man, viz., undaunted courage, and an absolute contempt of those ridiculous distinctions of maim and tuum, which would cause endless disputes, did not the law happily decide them by converting both into suum. The common form of exchanging property by trade seemed to him too tedious. He therefore resolved to quit the mercantile profession, and, falling acquainted with some of Mr. Wilde's people, he provided himself with arms, and enlisted of the gang, in which he behaved for some time with great decency and order, and submitted to accept such share of the booty with the rest as our hero allotted him. But this subserviency agreed ill with his temper, for we should have before remembered a third heroic quality, namely ambition, which was no inconsiderable part of his composition. One day, therefore, having robbed a gentleman at Windsor of a gold watch, which, on its being advertised in the newspapers, with a considerable reward, was demanded of him by Wilde, he peremptorily refused to deliver it. "'How, Mr. Blueskin?' says Wilde, "'you will not deliver the watch.' "'No, Mr. Wilde,' answered he, "'I have taken it, and will keep it, "'or if I dispose of it, I will dispose of it myself, "'and keep the money for which I sell it.' "'Sure,' replied Wilde, "'you have not the assurance to pretend "'you have any property or right in this watch.' "'I am certain,' returned Blueskin, "'whether I have any right in it or no, you can prove none.' "'I will undertake,' cries the other, "'to show I have an absolute right to it, "'and that by the laws of our gang, "'of which I am providentially at the head.' "'I know not who put you at the head of it,' cries Blueskin, "'but those who did certainly did it for their own good.' that you might conduct them the better in their robberies, inform them of the richest booties, prevent surprises, pack juries, bribe evidence, and so contribute to their benefit and safety, and not to convert all their labor and hazard to your own benefit and advantage. You are greatly mistaken, sir, answered Wilde, you are talking of a legal society, where the chief magistrate is always chosen for the public good, which, as we see in all the legal societies of the world, he constantly consults, daily contributing, by his superior skill, to their prosperity, 
and not sacrificing their good to his own wealth or pleasure or humor but in an illegal society or gang as this of ours it is otherwise for who would be at the head of a gang unless for his own interest and without a head you know you cannot subsist nothing but a head and obedience to that head can preserve a gang a moment from destruction it is absolutely better for you to content yourselves with a moderate reward and enjoy that in safety at the disposal of your chief than to engross the whole with the hazard to which you will be liable without his protection and surely there is none in the whole gang who hath less reason to complain than you you have tasted of my favours witness that piece of ribbon you wear in your hat with which i dubbed you captain therefore pray captain deliver the watch d blank in your cajoling says blueskin do you think i value myself on this bit of ribbon which i could have bought myself for sixpence and have worn it without your leave do you imagine i think myself a captain because you whom i know not empowered to make one call me so the name of captain is but a shadow the men and the salary are the substance and i am not to be bubbled with a shadow i will be called captain no longer and he who flatters me by that name i shall think affronts me and i will knock him down i assure you did ever man talk so unreasonably cries wild are you not respected as a captain by the whole gang since my dubbing you so but it is the shadow only it seems and you will knock a man down for affronting you who calls you captain might not a man as reasonably tell a minister of state sir you have given me the shadow only the ribbon or the bauble that you gave me implies that i have either signalized myself by some great action for the benefit and glory of my country or at least that i am descended from those who have done so i know myself to be a scoundrel and so have been those few ancestors i can remember or have ever heard of therefore i am resolved to knock the first man down who calls me sir or right honourable but all great and wise men think themselves sufficiently repaid by what procures them honour and precedence in the gang without inquiring into substance nay if a title or a feather be equal to this purpose they are substance and not mere shadows but i have not time to argue with you at present so give me the watch without any more deliberation i am no more a friend of deliberation than yourself answered blueskin and so i tell you once for all by g blank i never will give you the watch no nor will i ever hereafter surrender any part of my booty i want it and i will wear it take your pistols yourself and go out on the highway and don't lazily think to fatten yourself with the dangers and pains of other people at which words 
he departed in a fierce mood, and repaired to the tavern used by the gang, where he had appointed to meet some of his acquaintance, whom he informed of what had passed between him and Wilde, and advised them all to follow his example, which they all readily agreed to, and Mr. Wilde's D. Blankshan was the universal toast, in drinking bumpers to which they had finished a large bowl of punch, when a constable, with a numerous attendance, and Wilde at their head, entered the room, and seized on Blueskin, whom his companions, when they saw our hero, did not dare attempt to rescue. The watch was found upon him, which, together with Wilde's information, was more than sufficient to commit him to Newgate. In the evening, Wilde and the rest of those who had been drinking with Blueskin met at the tavern, where nothing was to be seen but the profoundest submission to their leader. They vilified and abused Blueskin as much as they had before abused our hero, and now repeated the same toast, only changing the name of Wilde into that of Blueskin, all agreeing with Wilde that the watch found in his pocket, and which must be a fatal evidence against him, was a just judgment on his disobedience and revolt. Thus did this great man, by a resolute and timely example, for he went directly to the justice when Blueskin left him, quell one of the most dangerous conspiracies which could possibly arise in a gang, and which, had it been permitted one day's growth, would inevitably have ended in his destruction. So much doth it behoove all great men to be eternally on their guard, and expeditious in the execution of their purposes, while none but the weak and honest can indulge themselves in remissness or repose. The Achates, Fireblood, had been present at both these meetings, but though he had a little too hastily concurred in cursing his friend, and in bowing his perdition, yet now he saw all that scheme dissolved, he returned to his integrity, of which he gave an incontestable proof, by informing Wilde of the measures which had been concerted against him, in which he said he had pretended to acquiesce, in order the better to betray them. But this, as he afterwards confessed on his deathbed at Tyburn, was only a copy of his countenance, for that he was at that time as sincere and hearty in his opposition to Wilde as any of his companions. Our hero received Fireblood's information with a very placid countenance. He said, as the gang had seen their errors, and repented, nothing was more noble than forgiveness. But though he was pleased, modestly, to ascribe this to his lenity, it really arose from much more noble and political principles. He considered that it would be dangerous to attempt the punishment of so many. Besides, he flattered himself that fear would keep them in order, and indeed Fireblood had told him nothing more than he knew before, viz., that they were all complete prigs, 
whom he was to govern by their fears, and in whom he was to place no more confidence than was necessary, and to watch them with the utmost caution and circumspection. For a rogue, he wisely said, like gunpowder, must be used with caution, since both are altogether as liable to blow up the party himself who uses them, as to execute his mischievous purpose against some other person or animal. We will now repair to Newgate, it being the place where most of the great men of this history are hastening as fast as possible, and to confess the truth, it is a castle very far from being an improper or misbecoming habitation for any great man whatever. And as this scene will continue during the residue of our history, we shall open it with a new book, and shall therefore take this opportunity of closing our third. End of Book 3, Chapter 14 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox